So we're talking today about honest relationships as we're sprinting through the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 15 uh, tonight and talking about asking the question, uh, who is God calling us to be? Evergreen. And what is he calling us to do? And tonight we're going to be talking about honest relationships that are very much a part of who we are. I suppose when it comes to kids, you know, they don't know anything other than honest relationships, right? Uh, Ann and I said that if we weren't talking to tall people at times like this, that we would be serving in kids' ministry. And I've been tested on that a time or two in my life. She and I were uh, teaching, I think it was third grade. And uh, it was on a Sunday morning, and uh, there were the third grade kids, and they were around a rectangular table, and they were all squeezed in because there was lots of kids in the classroom. And uh, I was leaning over. I had my arm kind of in the middle of the table, and I was leaning between two kids like this, and I was helping the little boy over here, or at least I was trying to. He was being nice about it. And the little girl who was over here, just a cute, wonderful, vivacious, red-haired, spicy, mouthy, confident kid right over here. She looked up at me and just scrunched her nose up and said, did you take a bath? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, kids, they're just, it's honest, right? It's honest or it's nothing. And I was a little taken aback and I thought, you know, I'm a little self-conscious and my, you know, armpit is awfully close to that cute little red head. And, and I said rather defensively, well, I, I took a shower like she needed to know, right? And she said, well, you smell like powder. And I thought, there's a God in heaven. It could have been so much worse than that. Kids really have it right. By the way, this is a church that loves kids. You know that. And uh, in a couple of weeks at Easter, we really invite uh, you tall people like us to think about coming to a service and worshiping and then coming to another service and serving. Uh, Kim, our children's pastor, will be out in the lobby uh, after the service and has some uh, opportunities to help in children's ministry, specifically on Easter Sunday. We're just gearing up for all the folks that you're going to be inviting, that the Lord's going to be bringing. We need some more help in serving our kids. So if you'd think about worshiping one and serving one, that would be a great thing. Well, uh, there's a, some of us uh, here tonight are probably the kind of people when it comes to conflict and conversation that you just feel better when you get it out on the table, right? Isn't that how it should be done? Just get it out there. Just talk it out. And then some of us would just assume it works itself out, right? Be patient. How many of you are talking out people? Just get it out there. Let's get it over with. Yeah, yeah. How many of you are, I'd like for it to work itself out. Give us some time. Yeah. And of course, many of you are married to each other. Or at least you're sitting near each other. It's kind of how that works. Doesn't work all that well, does it? That first year has its own special challenges to it. Yeah. The talk it out one and the let's just let this thing work it out one. and talk. Crucial conversations. Crucial conversations are discussions between two or more people where the stakes are high, opinions vary, and the emotions run strong. Stakes are high, opinions vary, and the emotions run strong. Now, there's three options in how to handle these kinds of crucial conversations. Uh, the first one is just to avoid them. <laughs> that works for me pretty well sometimes. The second one is to just look at them right in the face and handle them very poorly. And I can write the book on that one. I, I have scars of those. And the third option is to face those crucial conversations and to handle them well. Tonight, as we take a look at this remarkable story in Acts chapter 15, 
which is all about what helps each of us tonight actually have or have access to a personal relationship with Jesus. That's the big story. We find that it happens in a crucial conversation, a tipping point, if you will, a conflict that early leaders in the church encountered together. The story was about asking and answering this question. To become a Christ follower, do people, first of all, have to convert to Judaism and then keep all the Jewish customs and for the men be circumcised? That was the question. Got some of the guys in the room with that last one right there. Yeah. (laughs) Trust me, it was a male-dominated group having this debate. I want you to know. Seriously, this was a big deal. And what had happened was, as you know the story, in the early church, by the way, aren't you happy that they got me a big one? Oh, man. On your response cards, it just said, Jared, we love your artistic abilities. Couldn't you have a bigger space to bless us with? Not one of you put that on your response card. Ray got me the big boy anyway. Ray, you're my, yeah, we're, yeah, we're like this. Yeah. He's going to take no responsibility for anything that goes on it, but it's here. So it started out, and we understand that we can have a relationship with Jesus. Ray, I need some big fat pens. Because when I misspell things, I want to do it with confidence and boldness. And so a relationship with Jesus. And there were these folks down in Jerusalem. And they were uh, the apostles and the first followers of Jesus. And, you know, the story in the early part of the book of Acts. And they were very excited because as these people who were Jews, who had been God-fearing people and believing God through Jewish custom and Old Testament scripture... They came into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and now they understood that they were a part of this new collection of people, a community, and it's become called the church. comes from that Greek word ecclesia, called out ones. And so they're pretty excited that they're a part of the church now, and Jesus is the head of this church thing, and they are jazzed. And then there were some pesky people up in Antioch. And these folks in Antioch were non-Jews, They're what we call other kinds of people, (laughs) us and them. And these people thought that they were a part of the church. In fact, they were acting like they were Christians. That's what they were acting like. And Paul and Barnabas, who had been down here around Jerusalem, had wandered up to Antioch, and they were up there. And It was not only distant in terms of geography, a lot of miles, but it was culturally, linguistically, culturally, it was different. It was a long ways away. And some guys down here in Jerusalem, the greater region of Judea, decided to make a little trip up to Antioch. And they said, we just want you all to know that you're wrong. That if you don't become, as a non-Jew, a Jewish convert and then keep the customs of the Jews, and then decide to be a follower of Jesus, you can't be a part of the church. Because the real Christians around here have all come the path that we have come. Isn't it amazing that the story has never changed? We've just changed the labels in the deal. Those other people. And so they came up to Antioch, and I'll tell you, Paul and Barnabas got hot under the collar. Those old robes were just flaming. 
they were hot under the collar because this was a pretty critical issue. Because these people from Jerusalem caused a big dividing line and said, we don't think you're on the inside. And they were setting up a split, the old church split. Have any of you ever heard of a church split? Ever? What are the kind of issues that you've heard churches have dispute, as it's kindly called in our text tonight? What kind of stuff do churches dispute about? Doctrine? Pardon? Carpet color. <laughs> Absolutely. Doctrine to carpet color. <laughs> Equally important, don't you think? <laughs> oh, sprinkle, dunk, and dunk back or dunk forward or pour. Yeah. I'm sorry? Tongues. Yeah. Tongues. Loud music. Soft music. Country music. I'm not even going to tell you what my musical preferences are. You've never heard them in a church. (laughs) By the way, I won't bring them in. And it's not polka, even though I was plagued with learning to play the accordion as my first instrument. I am not not there. So there's all kinds of stuff. And some of those things are pretty important. First one, doctrine, pretty big deal. That's what this one was about, wasn't it? What does it take to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ was the deal. It was put in language of the first century and that culture of the church with its Jewish traditions and background. But the big deal was, what does it take to have a relationship with Jesus? That's why they went to war over this thing, decided to make a big deal out of it. It was a crucial conversation. But I first heard about uh, church split deals when uh, I heard a story from my dad. And uh, this was He and my mom had just gotten married, and uh, they got married in the church that he had grown up in. Some of you know that I have a Mennonite background, and they still attend that same church. And back in the day, uh, part of the deal of that tradition was that pastors shouldn't get paid. Any of you vote for that? That work work out okay for it? Yeah, yeah. That actually was a very important part of the deal. And some other religious organizations continue to function today like that, LDS, religious organization that functions on all volunteer deals. So that was, the, that was kind of the Mennonite tradition, and they were all farmers, most of them. And so, uh, you know, the pastor was just another one of the farmers, and the farmers weren't supposed to, you know, farm on Sunday anyway, so it was okay for the pastor to do the pastoral stuff. This was actually a fairly large church. That's how it worked. So the guys all got together on an afternoon because they had this big church thing, this split thing that was kind of this issue, this, this, this dispute that was going on. And my dad tells the story that as a, a mid-twenty-something young man, he left in the middle of the meeting and went out to the car and he cried. And he cried because these people that he had grown up revering so much and respecting so much were treating each other so poorly over this issue of whether or not preachers should be paid. And it created a split. And the people that wanted to pay the preacher had to leave, which I thought was kind of a rip because they not only had to go pay the preacher, but they had to go get a new building now. But apparently they had some conviction about that. But we all have our stories of stuff that happens in the church, and that was happening here in this case. And as we take a look at it, I'm going to read just a few of the verses. But what happens is Paul and Barnabas uh, are pretty upset, along with the other folks at Antioch, about this conviction that these folks from Judea are having that went up. 
And it was decided here among the Antiochian church that Paul and Barnabas and another group would go down to Jerusalem and they'd have a meeting and they would talk about this and they would decide how they were going to resolve this critical crisis that was happening. And I'm going to start from verse 1 in Acts 15, but I'm going to just kind of uh, skip and hop my way through. So you might just want to listen as I selectively pick out just a few of the verses to fill out the story. Some men came down to Antioch from Judah and were teaching the brothers. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. And this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. And so Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some of the other believers to go up to Jerusalem and see the apostles and the elders about this question. The apostles and elders met to consider this question, and after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you Gentiles that they might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them. He purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on their necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as we are, they are. And then after Peter spoke, Paul and Barnabas got up and they told what God had done and miracles that had happened. And then James gets up, kind of the leader of the church there in Jerusalem. And and he says, we should write to them and we should tell them to abstain. Get this list. It's great. Tell them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from eating blood. Okay? You do okay with that list? Yeah. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Well, the men were set off and they went down to Antioch where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter and the people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. That's what they did in the crucial conversation. I noticed that there's seven things just very quickly that we're going to kind of let flow out of this that they did to deal with that very important crisis. And the first one as it comes up is this. They recognized the dispute. They decided that there's no denial. We're having a problem here, a dispute. It's right in the middle. We have a difference of opinion about this thing. And what they had to decide was, was it a dispute of style or substance? Style or substance. I had a wonderful conversation with uh, one of the families uh, here in Evergreen just uh, a few weeks ago. And it was a wonderful conversation. It wasn't contentious. It wasn't a debate. It wasn't a dispute. But it was a real difference of opinion. Uh, they come from a tradition of uh, recognizing and using the church calendar. And so coming to the season of Easter, they have rich and fond memories of uh, Ash Wednesday and Monday Thursday. Is that what it is? Is it Tuesday? It's Thursday. See, 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 I'm hopeless, hopeless. And there's Lent and there's Easter and there's special celebration on um, Good Friday 
And so we were talking through the calendar. And it was obviously such a rich part of their heritage and their experience. And it's a loss for them to worship here and not to experience some of that. It was a wonderful conversation. Wonderful conversation. I'm better for it. I hope they are as well. Wasn't contentious, but it was a very honest conversation about a matter which is not substantial. It's not a matter of being saved or not, but, but it's an important matter. It was important to them. So Paul and Barnabas had to decide, is this a matter of style or is this a matter of substance? Is this a matter that's really foundational or is this a cultural kind of an issue for us? Is this a doctrinal thing that we want to live and die on or is this just kind of a tangent thing that we, you know, to each his own? And they said, when it comes to having a relationship with Jesus Christ, it is as substantial as it gets. We must be very, very clear on this that no one will ever come to God outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ and that no one will ever earn a relationship with Jesus Christ, that it is a gift of love that is received. It is forgiveness that's been extended. It's grace that comes to us. Our hearts are purified by a miracle of the Spirit. And that's how we come into relationship with Jesus. But notice that, first of all, they recognized that there was a dispute. When I was talking with um, the uh, guys at the men's breakfast this morning, and many of you were there, and uh, we introduced uh, James uh, Gerber, and in just a moment we're going to get to, uh, at the end of the service, we're going to get to meet James and Ashley and their girls, our new worship arts pastor, and be a reception afterward, an opportunity for you to start getting to know them as they begin to be integrated into the life of Evergreen here. And I was talking about, uh, with, with the guys, the comment about being a four-generation church. You know that that's not normal, don't you? It's a piece of our vision. We feel like God has called us to be a four-generation church. Now, we have a four-generation family. Anne's mom is 80, lives with us, and we have this granddaughter. We, we understand these, these generations. And do you know that I don't think that Katie at five is going to necessarily exactly appreciate everything that I do? Or grandmother. I mean, I get that. We, great-grandmother. We get that. So how do we function together as a community and be a vibrant, thriving, serving, loving, growing four-generation church? I don't know the complete answer to that, but I do know what the process looks like. Lots of serious discussion and disputes. Really. There's just lots of opportunity for us to talk, pray, think, and discern our way through how we're going to live together as a community with the complexities of four generations. Lots of opportunities. The first thing they did was they were real about that. I have a question for you. Who is it that you're having a dispute with now? Now, Not me, not all of you, not me. Who is it in your life that right now that you just kind of know as I'm talking, there's, there's a dispute there. It's a very honest thing to recognize it. The second thing that they did was this. They met face to face. Yeah, no... No anonymous messages. Isaac, did you find that picture? Do they go to this church? We are hoping that they do, yeah. So the guys in Antioch said, you know what? No letters written here. We're not sending emails or texts to try to figure this one out. We're going down there to Jerusalem, and we're going to have a face-to-face chat. Because we believe this about communication, here's a formula for you. It is communication equals 
relationship plus content. Communication equals relationship plus content. What we believe is that communication does not occur just around content. Content is just a blur of words without context. It's the relationship that describes the context for this bunch of words, the content, to actually begin to make sense. That's why there's no anonymous communication. Can you believe that I haven't always been this nice? Can you really believe it? Oh, come on, humor me. I know what you were saying. Nice? You? Nice? It was a while of, uh, ago. It was about uh, 24 years ago, because <clears throat> I think I was about 30. And uh, Ann and I had the privilege of coming to a church that was uh, much younger, but uh, larger than Evergreen. And we were appointed there to be pastors. And uh, there was a lot of conflict and stuff going on in the church. And uh, won't describe the story. And if I did, you would understand that. It wasn't that there were bad people. It was just a very painful, conflicted time. And uh, the culture of the church kind of decided to, to do anonymous stuff. You know what anonymous letters and email, well, it's hard to do an anonymous email, but back in the day, anonymous letters, you know what those are, don't you? Those are mortar shells. That's what they are. It's not fighting fair. And so there was a lot of anonymous communication going on. And we thought, what can we do to help bring to people's attention that honest relationships need to have relationship in them? not just throwing content at each other. And so because I wasn't as nice then, on a midweek service when most of the offenders were apparently there, what we had heard, but it was anonymous, so who knows, I actually took an anonymous letter with its envelope and I put a little clip on it and I lit it with a match and we burned the whole thing and we said, we're officially declaring the end of anonymous communications here in this church. (laughs) And well... See, you're rabble-rousers too. You, you love that. Some of you, yeah. <clears throat> uh, and since then, in 24 years, I have never gotten an anonymous letter. I haven't. Or note, because all the stuff I get comes through other people in the last 24 years. And so when people say to me, well, what do you do with anonymous letters? I say, I never get them. They say, I don't believe that. I say, well, I don't get them. I didn't say that they weren't sent I'm just saying that I never got them because I don't. And why? Because they are worthless. Why? Because there's no relationship there. But now if we can get relationship, the context of relationship around this content, now we can begin to move forward. And so they absolutely went well out of their way to make a long trip at inconvenience to Jerusalem to sit down and to have a conversation. And boy, did they ever. And the third thing that they did was they listened to others without interruptions. Well, I'm being generous there with that point, because if we read the whole story, what we'd find is that they all jabbered like crazy and the emotions got heated. That's what happened initially when these leaders, elders, and apostles all got together in the room in Jerusalem. But eventually we read what happens. And they decided that they were going to start listening instead of just fighting. Did you notice in the text who the first one was after the crowd began to mellow out a little bit that began to tell his story and his perspective? Who was it? It was Peter. 
And so we have Peter, and he finally gets their attention. And Peter, we read most of what he had to say, and it was really quite remarkable. You remember in Acts chapter 10, it's the record of him being miraculously called to go to Cornelius' house. And that's where he began to understand that God was opening the door to other kinds of people, those guys, the Gentiles or the non-Jews. And Peter tells his story. And who are the next two? Paul and Barnabas. There we go, PB. Oh, we're going to get to J in just a minute. I promise you, we actually, we actually are. Yeah. And so Peter does his speech and everybody else listened. That's what they did. And Paul and Barnabas began to give their opinion and tell their story in how not only had they seen God open up directly grace to other people, but that it was consistently confirmed with miracles and signs and wonders, the mark of the Spirit on this thing. And then I promised Jay, here he comes. Then it was James. James is kind of the leader at this point. This was not one of the 12. That apostle James had already been killed, slaughtered, martyred. There's another James that's emerging. Could be the James that wrote the book of James, the half-brother of Jesus, but leader in the church. So we have these folks who have had very different experiences in different contexts, representing both sides of the issue, if they will. And James said, we've heard Peter's experience and opinion, and we've heard Paul and Barnabas tell what their experience has been. Now let's run this by Scripture. Great idea, don't you think? Which was him referring back to the prophets and says, you know, your experience is great, gentlemen, but let me do a quick check to make sure it squares with what God has revealed to us in His Word. And so he was able to confirm that. And because they listened, they actually shut up and listened to one another. They were able to take steps forward then. I love one of the Proverbs. It's in Proverbs chapter 18. I think it's verse 13. And it says this, He who answers before listening, it is to his folly and shame. Now, I'm kind of disgusted about that because I have answering before listening down really well. I want you to know that's a a skill. Uh, Maybe some of you have answered a question that wasn't actually being asked because of the listening thing. In fact, uh, it's in Proverbs chapter 17, and I paraphrase. I love this. There's two verses, 27 and 28, I think, and it says, even a dumb guy sounds smart if he doesn't say anything. I like that one. That's right. In fact, it wasn't long ago, uh, one of the uh, younger guys that uh, is a friend was going to go to a meeting with a, just a few very impressive, smart, well-respected, reasonably well-known, older people. And he was invited to come into this august group. And he, uh, he asked me for some advice. And I asked him what the agenda was. And he told me, and I said, do you think you know anything about that? And he said, no, I don't think I know anything about any of that. And I said, then I have some great advice. Smile, nod, and if you're asked a specific question, just tell them how much you're learning from them. And they'll all think you're brilliant on the other side of that. There's an amazing thing that happens when we listen to one another. The fourth thing that they did was that they checked their opinions with Scripture. No self-made truth here. I believe that all truth is God's truth. But have you met some friends who kind of developed their own truth, that personal truth? 
I remember as a young pastor being rather shocked one day, a woman who was probably about our age came by and uh, wanted to chat briefly, and she was very, very happy. And I like to be around happy people, don't you? And I thought something very special has happened in her life, and this is going to be a fun story to hear. I need a little joy burst. This is going to be great. And uh, I had met her uh, husband on a few occasions, but she was a far more regular church attender, and she was probably in about her... Uh, mid-twenties, and just the picture of joy and worship. I mean, when she worshiped, you just, you just wanted to say, I, I want to worship like that. One of those people, you know what they are? Yeah, Tay, we're talking about you here. Just right, we're just, we're just right there. Actually, that was off the cuff, and I wish I hadn't done that because this story's not going to turn out well. And now I've, drug, now I've drug you into my mess. All right, would you just leave her out of this right now? It's a great story, and I want to continue it. But So she sat down, and she said, I just want you to share my joy with you. I'm so excited. I'm so happy. And I said, oh, I'm so excited for you. What's so good? And she says, I met a 48-year-old guy, and he has a jet. And this afternoon, we're going to fly to Las Vegas, and I'm leaving my husband, and he and I are going to live together. And I got to tell you, you know, my jaw was down there, you know, on the carpet. I just, I could not believe it. I was utterly stunned. And I started to say something pastoral like, you know, have you, have you, do you know anything about what the Bible says about, you know, marriage was kind of where it was going to go. She's, oh, Jared, she said, I know all that. But she said, God wants me happy. And this is making me very, very happy. And she left and launched off to her deal. That's the making up our own truth deal. It's being caught up in the heat of the emotion, whatever the emotion is. Mad, angry, exhilarated, thrilled, excited, happy, depressed, sad. And being caught up in a drift of the emotion that takes us to a place that's farther and farther from truth. And thank God for James saying, Peter, we love hearing your stories. They're awesome. And Paul and Barnabas, we're thrilled about your experience. Wonderful. But I've been checking out the scroll here. And it says right here in the prophets, this is exactly what God was planning to do. Yes, it's confirmed. And so we check it out with Scripture. What a safe, wonderful thing. The fifth thing they did was they... They helped. They offered a helpful solution. No complainers allowed. Isaac, you had way too much fun. <clears throat> One of the things I love about uh, working with uh, the team here, the, the, the team is huge, but the, the paid staff, uh, the, the smaller group, let me just say specifically, one of the things I so appreciate about those of you that are on staff is that they come with solutions. I mean, we face problems all the time. We're, we're good at this honest relationship thing, but they come with solutions. The, the family may be here tonight, um, and, uh, and whether or not you, they are is, is irrelevant. The way I tell the story is going to be appropriate. But it was just an amazing thing. This is, I'm telling on Kevin Hughes, our, uh, our student ministries pastor. Um, you know, we do an after-school thing on Wednesdays here that are just, it's absolutely awesome. You've heard the story. You know what's happening. They're out of room, spilling into the hallway. We're, 
we're reorganizing Wednesday nights for the next 11 weeks, starting next week. Not this week. This week's dress rehearsal week, but starting the next week. And uh, on Wednesday afternoons, and we're just going to full court press. There's 85 roles for us, for you, to sign up for, to be a part of the teams. It's going to take 85 of us to serve those 120, 150. Kevin's dream is 200 kids who come after school. 85 of us plus what they do in terms of the ministry programming piece. It's a big deal. We invite you to be a part of it. There's sign-ups out there in the lobby as you go. So this is a few weeks ago, and a kid came, uh, and, and he did bad stuff. I mean, really bad stuff. If I told you what it was, you'd go, oh. And he, did, and he did bad stuff in church. It was not sexually inappropriate. It was not the kind of stuff that we uh, would need to take, would have to report or take legal action about. But it was the kind of stuff that we certainly could have invited law enforcement to come, and, uh, and he potentially could have been arrested. So... Uh, <clears throat> Just before the Wednesday night service, we had a brief chat with Kevin and talked about what to do and decided that what we wanted to do was to engage parents rather than law enforcement to take that next step. Kids were safe. Again, that was the the critical first question. Now it's how do we take care of this kid? How do we care for the kid? And so uh, Kevin ended up, I didn't even know this, Kevin ended up going to their home that night. This family that has no association with us other than the kid comes over for after school and spend time with the family. So a couple weeks later, I meet a guy I've never seen before. And he uh, began to tell his story. And he said, you know, my son goes to after-school thing here on Wednesdays. And uh, the last few weeks, his life has really been changing. And he's really getting serious about his life and purpose and meaning and faith. And he said, uh, and you know, Kevin actually came to our home and helped us work through a very difficult situation. And so he said, I decided that I should come and be supportive of my son's effort to make good choices in his life. And I want to be a part of what's happening here to be supportive of him. Isn't that amazing? Wow. Yeah. Thank you. The door was opened because Kevin decided to come with a solution. We can help in this desperate thing, not just be recriminating but we can extend redemption and grace and help. What a great thing. We're almost done here. The sixth thing that they did was they they chose a course of action. No stalling here. I love what it says. We, We didn't read it in part of the letter, but it says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And they wrote a letter and we said, we just want you to stop strangling animals and eating the meat and drinking the blood. That doesn't work very well in the Jewish scene. That's just not an attractive thing at all. And the sexual immorality thing, that transcends the ages. We all want to be sexually pure. We, we get that one. And, and there was another one in there, wasn't there? What was that? Oh, yeah, the food, the food that was given, presented to the idols before it was eaten. Now, isn't this interesting? Paul and Barnabas went to the mat to fight over whether or not we can come directly to Jesus as Savior and Lord. And then they and all these other guys made some cultural concessions, didn't they? Is it wrong to eat the meat of animals that are strangled? Now, it doesn't sound particularly appealing to me, appetizing, but that was very much a Jewish cultural practice. The use of blood. Some of you may have family heritage as I do, where all animal parts were used, thank you very much, including something called blood pudding, which 
thank God in heaven, I'm one generation removed from. It doesn't sound that attractive to me, but some of you are wired. So very much a cultural kind of thing. This whole, the ceremonial offering meat, first of all, and sacrifice to some deity and then selling it in the marketplace is very much a Jewish kind of a context for this. The whole circumcision thing, which was very much a part of the Jewish culture. One chapter later in chapter 16, Paul, who fought with these guys to say circumcision, becoming Jewish, following the law, has nothing to do with a full relationship with Jesus Christ, picked Timothy, who was probably in his late teens, and required, if he was going to be a part of Paul's staff, that he had to be circumcised. Why? Not to please God, but to be able to serve in a cultural setting where people could have not have had any relationship with Timothy, so his content wouldn't have been meaningful to them. And so the church has always struggled, and we at Evergreen have, do, and will struggle with sorting through the stuff that is absolutely critical and essential and the stuff that is culturally dominant within our larger society and the stuff that is particularly a part of Evergreen culture and then the stuff that I just happen to personally prefer. And we find this story remarkably talking through all of those. But the last thing that we discover is then to enjoy the good results because what we say here was when the people got the letter, they just spontaneously erupted in joy and encouragement because it was a solution to a grievous, difficult dispute. This is what we infer from the story. If we are people who are committed to honest relationships, and at Evergreen we are, we will be folks who look at problems and acknowledge them. No denial. And we will choose that we're going to meet face-to-face and we're going to talk our way through. And we're going to listen our way through. And we're going to check the opinions that we offer with Scripture. And we're going to offer helpful solutions. And then we're going to choose a course of action. And then we're going to move forward with that. In fact, this is what it might sound like, is this little piece of evergreen vision. We choose honest relationships. We recognize differences of opinion are just part of community. And so we meet and talk and listen and offer solutions and confirm with God's word and take action because we value honest relationships. One last story. We're going to wrap here with some questions that you can apply to yourself. We're going to invite those of you that want to receive tonight God's gift of grace and forgiveness in Jesus Christ to do that as well. We're going to wrap up with a couple of other things, but let me just kind of give a story, which is really immediately out of our context here. At Evergreen, we've enjoyed a history of 78 years, which most of that time has included a Wednesday night midweek worship service. And over recent years, which is really the only history that we have direct access to, that's taken a lot of different forms. Um, And so what we're doing now is nothing in that regard. But, you know, recently we're at this question of we're coming to an end of a season of what we felt God called us to do on Wednesday nights. And and there's this amazing favor that God's giving the after-school program with the kids. And 
What does it look like to reallocate room and space and those things? And so many of you are part of what we did. We took a couple of Wednesdays and we came and we, we talked. I had Kevin talk about what God was doing. We had some questions and some answers. We said, let's take some time to give feedback and let's consider and let's pray and let's see what God does. And one of the, uh, one of the families who I don't know how long they have regularly attended Wednesday nights, but every Wednesday night in the last eight and a half months that I've been here, they've been here. And my hunch is that they have been here for decades of Wednesday nights, decades. They're folks that serve all the time in any way. And if the doors are open, they're here and they're here on Wednesday nights. Grandma and grandpa kind of people. And uh, it was after one of those uh, conversation nights that we had, really looking a lot like what we read about here in Acts, that they came up to me and said, if the decision is that we should serve the kids on Wednesday nights, we would really be okay with that. That was what they said. And I snuck a peek on the sign-up lists, and they're signed up in one of the 85 roles. Two of the 85 roles, actually. And I thought, what a beautiful example today of what we're talking about here. Do you know that I have no idea what they really think or prefer? I know what they think because they were honest. It's okay with us. I know that they took action because that's the direction we're going and they're team players. I have no idea what they really feel about that because they decided at this point that they would say, will move together with the community. I would imagine there was a bunch of folks down in uh, Jerusalem pretty upset about the decision. With all that joy going on up in Antioch, they were all happy about it, kind of went their way. Imagine there were some folks in Jerusalem. But you know what happened? The church stayed unified. That's what happened. And you and I tonight get to enjoy the kind of unity and certainty about relationship with God through Jesus Christ by grace and not by works, in part because some folks in the first century got together, looked at a problem, met, thought about it, talked it through, listened, prayed, checked it with Scripture, formed a course of action and said, we're going to move this way. And thank God they did. May we be like that church too, in His name and for His sake. Amen.